How you doing? Welcome to Music Industry City's Tuesday Talkies, where we discuss what's going on in the world of music business. I'm Peter Schwing, and joining me today are my co-hosts, Sam Toll, Aisha Adamo, Stephanie Carlin, and the Duke. If there's something you want to chime in about, let us hear your thoughts in the comments below. So today, uh, the team is going to talk about understanding record label deals and a new app for the music business. Kanye wants to rip apart music industry rules. What's important when it comes to organizing our creative lives and women's worth in the music industry? We have a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Uh, to the uninitiated, record deals can and are an outline of complexities and even so to the experienced. Now, there is a company called CreateOS, which claims CreateOS is the operating system for the music business and have created a record deal simulator. <laughs> Here with his thoughts on label deals and this new app is Sam Tall. Sam, how are you? Hey, Peter. I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, fantastic. Got a little different layout for you in the background there. I think uh, you're moving yeah. to a new studio. To our longtime viewers, this is going to seem a little strange, but... It's only temporary. There will be nice dates coming soon. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So, you know, I was checking out this, uh, the record simulator. And, and bef uh, I, I just want to lead in with this because I know you want just like an overview of like record deals and sure. uh, like, you know, the 50-50 splits, you know, just quick overview and like, you know, the multi-rights deal and like, you know, the quote unquote 360 deal, which I've never actually heard anybody at a major label say <laughs> 360 deal. But for some reason, it's out there. Uh, but, you know, I was looking at this, uh, the platform and it's, you know, it's cool. It's interesting. And, you know, you, you know, give people the props for initiating something like this. But is it a helpful platform or is it misleading people and setting false expectations? That's a great question. And I like how you framed it, because I think the answer is yes and no. Now, before we talk about why it's both, we have to talk about what goes into a record deal and operationally what how that deal gets used for. I think a lot of people look at record deals. And they think of it as this sort of defining moment or this checkpoint or this accomplishment. It's really just a framework and a structure to do more stuff. It's a starting point. And I try to explain that to every artist that I work with through a record deal process. I've had the great fortune of signing a few record deals and also terminating a few record deals. Uh, I say great fortune because signing a deal is a great optimistic point in time. Sometimes that relationship doesn't work out. Terminating that deal could be the greatest thing you ever did for your career. Um, they come in all shapes and sizes. They come with some of the same elements, uh, but by and large, it's unique to every company. For example, a major label is going to ask for uh, a much higher share of the revenue. They're going to ask for a lot more tacked on things. They're going to change things up based on territories. They've got a whole infrastructure to account for. They also have a lot of staff to pay for, a lot of people whose hands get involved. And that can either be a good thing or a bad thing, but if it's a good thing, you want to make sure that those salaries are covered, that you're contributing to the success of those people as well as their contributions to you. With a distributor, it's very little service, and that's by design, right? Even with your AWOLs and your orchards, there's more service involved, label services type companies. However, it's not the same as being on a label. With an indie label that's doing sort of a 50-50, you expect to fall somewhere in the middle. This app is really interesting. It seems to have caught a lot of attention. Sherry, who shared it on Twitter, and it kind of you know, went like micro viral. Um, and I personally got into a couple of little, you know, philosophical debates in the replies with some other people, not with Sherry. Sherry's great. Um, but it was also shared uh, on Artist Managers Connect on Facebook. And uh, one of the people who commented on that thread 
was one of the co-creators of this app and of CreateOS, which I still don't know if it's related to Create Music Group. But in any case, we started talking about the point of this app, the way it was built, the things that it ignores, things like the fact that labels have to pay salaries for team members. Um, it's really reductive, admittedly so, and there will be future iterations that account for more granular things, add options, add features. It's kind of like a first little widget to kind of premiere the idea of create OS, whatever that ultimately ends up being. Um, still not sure yet <laughs> what that's going to be. Um, but I've played around with this tool. I think it is insightful, but it's not a great way to estimate the outcomes of certain deals. And so what I mean by that is, I've, like I mentioned, had done a few deals, one of which was with a major label. It was like a 17% artist royalty. There was a decent advance, not a huge one. There was a decent recording budget, not a huge one. This is for an independent band that made everything primarily by themselves. They just couldn't afford the right producer and mixer they wanted, but they didn't need studio time. So they didn't need a huge budget, but they needed money to make the record of their dreams. They needed an advance to quit their part-time jobs. They wanted to be able to buy some equipment and go on tour. All things that are made possible by this record budget. Now, the way that this app lays it out is, oh, well, if they're going to get you know, X amount for an advance, X amount for a record budget, those are costs that have to be recouped first. Yes, but you can also classify them as revenues. You know, it's recording money that you don't have to spend. It's an advance against future earnings. So it's not as cut and dry to say that the label and the artist both have to recoup costs. Meanwhile, the label is making a profit, which is currently how this app kind of represents it. And even if that were the case, what it calls net profit is really gross margin because that gross revenue that's attributed to the label before the artist sees their first dollar after recruitment goes to pay staff salaries, goes to pay office, goes to pay for the accounting software that's going to manage the royalty flow. So it's not as cut and dry. There is a disparity. I'm not going to suggest that there's not a disparity and that labels are not uh, are, are, are not somehow taking advantage of artists because they are. We know this to be true. It happens every decade. That's not what I'm arguing. What I'm arguing is that it's not as clear as just like, oh, look at the, the label making five times as much money as the artist. It's not quite that same thing. Meanwhile, the advance goes to the artist into their pocket. How they spend it is up to them. Now, what I do like about this is that if you set the parameters of this little app to be a 50-50 label deal or a distribution or net profit deal, it shows you that it's very equitable between parties. I think it's a good uh, spotlight on the fact that there are deals that can be done that are mutually beneficial, that are equally balanced, that contribute equal pay for the creative share as well as the operational share. These are the things that I really like to see. These are actually the deals that I do a lot more of these days. Even majors are starting to do more 50-50 deals. You just have to really know where your points of leverage are to get them. But independent labels have been doing 50-50s for a long time, and now there are sort of these distributor label hybrid companies that are doing 60-40s. Maybe some will do 70-30s, but then you're getting into AWOL territory. Suffice it to say, when you split the money, when you split the revenues evenly down the middle, whether there's an advance or not, there's still costs that have to be recouped. The math kind of works out in a little bit more simple way. For anybody who's watching this saying, how do I structure a deal? How do I get the right terms so that it's fair for me and my artists? Go for 50-50 because everyone's got their hands in the same proportions. And at that point, you're all kind of working for the same end goal. If it's tilted either way, there's an imbalance of power either for or against the artist. So just keep that in mind, but also keep in mind that 
any tool you see like this on the internet, whether it's a royalty calculator for mechanicals for, for Spotify, which Jeff Price posted when he founded Audion, or it's this app for Create OS, or it's any other tool or like the Tricordis royalty grids that they always post every year, take them with great grains of salt, like the coarsest flaky salt you can, because these are not gospel, they're estimations, they're calculators, but calculators do not talk about the nuances and the specifics of your deal. Exactly. Yeah, and there, there's, you know, looking at this, it's kind of, you know, to build something like, I mean, everything has to start someplace. Sure. But to build it, you really need that understanding of where that Excel spreadsheet comes in. It's like, where does the line item come in from? So you have you, you know, your revenues. It's like in your deal terms, it's going to say what is cross-collateralized. Whereas this is just saying, here you go. Or payout order. So if you have a producer that is getting uh, royalties on it, well, guess what? That producer gets paid before you get paid. So it's it's like where does where does it fall in? And then going into say distribution, you have distribution deals. And a lot of like these labels on the indie side, what will they'll do is they'll get an adv- ask for an advance from the distributor. Mm-hmm. And now does that advance from the distributor come as a package? Is that for operation expenses or is that advance going down to the artist, which probably not. It's somehow like, you know, it's going to be put into different buckets, but it's operation yeah. expenses. It's like kind of what you are getting at there. Well, you know, I'm sure that with labels of that sort, you can account advances as a form of operational expense. It's discretionary budgeting on their end and they can decide what to do with it. Very similar Mm -hmm. to Spotify paying advances to the labels along with equity. It's like, is there an obligation to pay that out to the artists? Morally, I believe so. And a lot of them have, you know, uh, gone that same route and made that same claim in public. How they account for it's up to them. But um, we don't see so much of them holding back that from the artists. But that was their original intent was to Mm -hmm. not allocate it. And, and, you know, eventually they get quiet foul. I think... You know, this is a, a particular time, and this is something I brought up to one of the co-creators of the app, is I understand this is a particular time in the sort of culture of record deals, and obviously with Kanye West crying foul about Universal and a lot of the other kind of politics around it, there's a big fight for justice and control of assets. And this isn't just music, this is macro. Like, I see so much more chatter about the stock market and equities and mm-hmm. passive income and all kinds of things because people are trying to weather uh, another pandemic that we don't know about yet, right? Right. But we cannot get lost in a flash. We have to focus on individual details. We have to equip ourselves with the knowledge of how these things work so that when we negotiate a deal, it's in our favor. And I've done things where it's like, yeah, it's a 360 deal. There's a certain you know, label commission on uh, performance fees over a certain amount, but not under. And we create that shelter so that the artists, for example, can develop and reach from the clubs to the ballrooms to the theaters. And once you're in the theaters, there's enough money to go. But if the label is taking money from the club and ballroom level, it might hinder growth. So considerations like that are completely unique. Right, exactly. So, uh, yeah, thank you, Sam. And you mentioned Kanye West, and I think that's actually going to be a perfect segue into the Duke section. All right, Sam, great seeing you. Look forward to the uh, new studio set up for uh, next week. All right. So, uh, we, as you just heard, I'm uh, talking about Kanye and uh Kanye West wants to uh, let's how do we explain this? I need to put this correctly up here first and foremost. So Kanye, uh, I want to put up that quote here. Where did that quote go? Here we go. 
The other day he tweeted, when you sign a music deal, you sign away your rights. Without the masters, you can't do anything with your own music. Someone else controls where it's played and when it's played. Have Artists have nothing to accept, except, set in context, the fame, touring, and merch. And uh, here with his perspectives on the matter is the Duke. What's up, Dave? How are you? I am blessed, Peter. Oh, wonderful. So, so this is, this is really interesting. I, uh, and you know, Sam, Sam even just brought it up. So it's, it's kind of a really important topic and like, you know, seeing how people on their labels are adapting to help their, the musicians and the artists. Yeah. Well, I mean, Kanye is, is punk rock, you know what I'm saying? And, mm -hmm. um, maybe not in his aesthetic, but what he's, you gotta, you gotta really understand. He just gave back all all the masters to he he, he owned 50 percent of, of the masters for his good music label right which is whatever deal he did with universal but those are major artists and each one of those artists is bringing in millions and millions of dollars in revenue and he just gave it all back to them that is the most punk rock thing i've, I've never seen anybody give back a million or billions of dollars like so publicly so for me it's amazing um at the same time, that quote is so rad, it makes me think of this other quote, which I have here. Um, the music business is a cruel and shallow money trench, a long plastic hallway where thieves and pimps run free and good men die like dogs. There's also a negative side, and that was from Hunter S. Thompson, another punk rock uh, individual, and another great quote. Um, and so Kanye is, that move right there is one of the biggest moves I've ever seen in the music business. And I've been in the music business in one way or the other for the last 22 years, I've never seen anything like that ever, ever. I love it. It's, it's, yeah. And you know, like punk rock and, the, and that the, the Hunter S Thompson quote is great. I mean, we go back, I mean, the music industry going, going back to piano rolls and performers, it's like that there, it was built on crooks and thieves back then was when it all started. Like somebody would be playing piano in a saloon and somebody would steal their music or piano rolls. And the labels always figured out a way to get another contract. So when uh, radio, in, uh, it was like 1923, I believe, uh, radio first started with playing more the more music because it was more talk and stuff but it was more like now as soon as radio came into to the picture like as a heavy hitter the labels started making their artists sign contracts saying you will not allow your music to be performed on this medium because labels weren't making money so every type there's something a new iteration of something or another technology the labels always have tried to double down and clamp down on the contracts where now you see somebody's like hey you know something this whole owning the masters thing it's like no you're the owner you go take care of it and have fun and we'll help out now for a business proposition i mean i understand where labels like well we own it because that's how we can recoup the money and the advances and everything we put into it but you know so so is it a long-term business proposition like how does that work out in the in the long term to me i mean I, if you guys have been following my youtube channel i started doing these reaction videos long story mm -hmm. short i just did a reaction to a kid that went viral for showing his parents, his dad, his song in the car, right? And his dad's reaction was so rad and he got like 100,000 followers. 
the advice I would give that kid is do not sign a record deal. There's no reason for you to just sell t-shirts, like make that hundred grand right now, have that career because your chances of actually like, I love people. I'm a lover of people. All right. I was raised as a Quaker. I love people, but some, for some reason in the music industry, I don't like people as much at at 2 PM as I love them at 2 AM. And that's because alcohol, you know what I'm saying? I just love people, but for some reason, people want to like, they want to bleed you in the music industry. And I never understood that because I love music and I love people so much. Um, and I'll kind of leave it at that. I also wanted to, uh, I'm going to end scene on that. I also wanted to shamelessly um, plug on the music end, something that I was doing. Cause I feel like, you know, we have a good um, viewership here. So I started a group with um, a, a super talented dude named Josh Paul. He's the bass player of Daughtry and used to be the bass player of suicidal tendencies. We started a funk group called Zenith divine. Um, I just want you guys to check that out on Spotify and that's on the music tip. I always want to keep things positive because I really love music and I really love people. And I think that the music business for whatever reason gets a bad rap um, based on these tactics that we're talking about, like, like Sam talked about and why you would have an app because it's so foggy and so smoky when you come in, it's like, how can you see through the window? There's so much dirt on it. We got to be the people that clean it. And that's why I love this show. That's why I love all you guys, because I feel like we bring truth. We bring like a transparency, you know, say, well, look what Aisha is saying and Stephanie and Sam and Peter, like they, they, these are our friends and we're going to tune in every Tuesday and hear what they have to say. Right on. I, I love it. And uh, send me, send me the link there. So I'll put that into the show notes. So send me that Spotify link. Yeah, man, that's great. I didn't know you were doing that. So awesome, man. Love it. Love it. Absolutely love it. All right. So, uh, Basically, like, you know, let's move on to, you know, talking about like being creative. So experts say that focus and consistency are two of the most important factors to succeed. Uh, To talk about what's important versus what's urgent when it comes to organizing our creative lives and how to get back on track when we've been pulled away from our artistic work is Aisha Adamo. Aisha, how are you? Good. I'm very good. I, I mean, so, I, Dave, Dave is a perfect example. I mean, if, uh, just Alito, just Dave is a perfect example of like you know, you know, everything with COVID, coronavirus, like you know, shutdowns. I mean, he's been cranking with the Williamsburg Collective. Uh, Dave, I apologize if I totally got that the name wrong, but you, we know what we're talking about, and like you know, putting the band together, and it's like you know, how to get back on track. So you know, this is exactly a perfect, uh, you know, item that you're talking about. Well, you know, I mean, there are so many demands on us uh, right now, especially, but always, even without COVID, you know, artists have the demands of daily life and the world and day jobs and raising family, any number of things. And all these things, you know, take some time and energy away from what we might otherwise put into our creative work. These are things that are always going to exist. It doesn't matter about COVID. It doesn't matter about how far, you know, even at the top of your career of like very high success, there's still going to be things that are pulling you away from your creative work. So it's something that we need to accept as a reality and figure out ways to handle it, to balance our life. A lot of the time we just allow these outside demands to be an excuse for not doing our creative work, or even worse than that, we kind of scapegoat the demands for all the creative stuff that we never get done as artists without taking responsibility from, for the portion of the inactivity that rests with us and our commitment to art and to time management. 
So I think one of the main factors um, in this is that we fail to distinguish, distinguish between what's important versus what's urgent. Now, a lot of the times what's urgent wins. Um, you know, whether it's the, the day job saying, oh, you have to like do this right now and send the spreadsheet or whatever it is, um, we drop everything we're doing and attend to that, um, which sometimes is necessary. But a lot of times we don't do it with consciousness about how we're working and how important our artistic work is to us and is to our purpose in the world. So sometimes we do this because we have a little bit of fear about the challenges of the artistic work. Like we kind of like, oh, I don't really want to deal with that. And sometimes we do it because we're just afraid of success. But whatever the reason, today what I really want to focus on is less the reasons why um, you know, we avoid and more like why we choose um, the urgent over the important, but just like getting to making a conscious effort to make choices based on what we actually feel. Um, so getting to that, I think the main thing is you want to have a list of goals. It's not just a list of goals. It's not just the things I want to start or projects I want to finish. It's also the reasons why, because the reasons why are going to cement with us how important it is that we do this thing. And it gets, you want to have reasons why that get to the heart of things, that get to the mind, but get to the heart so that when you're navigating between, okay, this is the thing that's my heart but this is something that I really have to do for the day job, you're able to make a conscious choice that's meaningful to, to you. And it's, it's going to stick with you. You know, it's not just something you throw away and then blame the day job. So reminding yourself of the why is really important, but also when those demands from outside come in, thinking about the why of that, like, why is this task so urgent that I should put off what's important to me? And sometimes the urgent task will win. And that's okay. Sometimes you might need to do the requirements of the day job so you can pay that rent, so you can do the thing. But it's being conscious about that choice that's going to make all the difference. So this week, I just want to invite you to make that list of creative goals with the why, focusing on the why, and begin to do some of the things on that list. And sometimes, you know, when you have to put things on hold, just be conscious of it and be aware of the choices you're making. That's it. I love the, the choices you're making and urgency sometimes really stems from procrastination. And you were talking about like, you know, choices, the choices that you make. There there was a study and I don't remember. I, I It was one of those I just kind of stumbled across in the, on, on the internet. And it was talking about why can we get accomplished so much when we have a deadline of the next morning and we've put everything off. It's like we can actually accomplish so much more during that six hours of like, oh, it's it's 8 p.m. and I got to have this done by tomorrow morning for a presentation or whatever pitch meeting. But it's like the way you can focus and just grind and get so much done in that six hours. Like, so they were saying like procrastination almost is a good thing in that sense of like getting to the sense of urgency where it actually tricks your brain into operating and like on a different level, but it's also, you know, you're also burnt out. I mean, and it's only, it's more negative, you know, more cons than pros. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something that can work in a certain way, but for artists, it depends on which, which kind of thing are you working on? Are you working on a business-related artist thing? Which I think that kind of putting it into the zone of urgency can work. 
Or if you're doing the artistic, like daydreamy part that you have to get like deep into the like mm -hmm. art and woo woo sense of it all, you can't put time on that as easily as some of the other stuff. So I think sometimes that can work. But I think a lot of the time, the reason that those outside things win is because they are from a more you know, structured world that has those kinds of deadlines. So yeah, putting deadlines on your creativity can sometimes be helpful for sure. Right. And sometimes just lying on the couch, bouncing a ball off the ceiling for an hour is a good way to kind of let things come to you. So thank you, Ayusha. Always fantastic to hear from you. And I love I love the uh, out, outlook. Uh, you're going to notice uh, to everybody tuning in, you're going to notice something a little different next week and uh, you'll keep you informed of that. So thanks a lot. All right. So um, Mulyon, Viacom, CBS. Uh, C says CEO was investigated over sexual misconduct claim about, uh, but but the probe did not support the allegation. In it, they went on to say, the board takes any allegation of this type seriously. An independent review of the alleged incident has concluded and the investigation did not support the allegation. Viacom CBS, Viacom CBS said in a statement, to the Hollywood Reporter on Thursday. Here to discuss more about this, Stephanie Carlin and how this relates to the music industry. And this is important. So love to hear what uh, your thoughts on this. Thanks, Peter. Uh, so as I read this article and then Googled all the variations of whatever this press release was and read those, I got angry because the article was written by men and it was written for men. This article was not written with a shred of acknowledgement towards women in the music industry. It in no way gets into a woman's perspective. And, you know, we've come to accept this as normal and status quo. And what keeps women silent is the same thing that keeps women small in her industry, because most women feel undeserving of speaking truth. And there's a reason for that, right? Like, quick recap, up until quite recently, if uh, women had any societal value, a woman had no money to herself. Women didn't work 50 years ago, and a century after winning the right to vote and no longer being a man's property, we still don't make the same amount as men. And so what are the belief systems that are given to us women? You don't deserve it. You have to ask for permission. You're not allowed to have it. Don't make him angry. And when men join the women's programs I lead and they see how much a woman grapples with these ingrained belief systems, they're shocked. Uh, I'm told men don't think things like this. And so Viacom is one with CBS now. And we all know Les Moonves left as the CEO of CBS because of crazy harassment claims, like forcing women to perform oral sex on him. And now his replacement, Bob Backish, gets to coast. And as a woman in the music industry, I'm going to be real. I am constantly scanning the room to discern who could be a rapist and who could I be safe with. And I've got a 50-50 shot of getting it right. As a woman in the music industry, I have to create fake email accounts so it looks like I'm being represented by a man because that's the only way I get a response. As a woman in the music industry, I know I have to work twice as hard to get paid the same as my male counterparts. As a woman in the music industry, my blood boils when I read an article like this because we can do better. We can do better than passively report a vague claim that's been dropped due to what? This article doesn't say why it was dropped or what the investigation entailed. 
probably because the investigation was garbage. And if you know more about it, I encourage you to comment on this video, enlighten me, because maybe I'm missing something. But the fact remains that Bob Backish is still the CEO of Viacom CBS. He's still a leader in my industry. This will be a blip on the screen. And the message to me is I, as a woman, am just not worth it. So we have a long way to go in dismantling the patriarchy in this industry. And if you start to hear the quiet whispers of the women around you, the whispers of me too, every time a woman has the audacity and the courage to speak out and share and risk being fired and made wrong and ostracized in this industry, if you start to hear all the whispers of the women inspired by her courage, but still dominated by all these beliefs, I don't deserve it. I have to ask for permission. I'm not allowed to speak truth. Don't make him angry. Well, I think you'd agree. We have a long way to go. So those are my thoughts on that. Oh, fantastic. Excellent. Excellent points there. It's, uh, you know, you talk about like you have the years ago, it started like Harvey Weinstein, Hollywood. And then it's like, you know, when is the stories were like, when is the music industry going to have their Me Too moment? And that is something that it was started to come out and kind of went away, it seemed. And it's like it just became a little more swept under the rug again. And things like this, you know, bring it to the forefront. And how do you make, make generate more awareness of this? Like what what is like that plan to like, you know, make it that people are really aware of this? Each woman individually has to start examining why these belief systems were put in place. I am an expert on belief systems. And every day I bump up against asking for permission, figuring out how to speak my truth. Is there room for me in a room? Is there room for me to put this on YouTube and not have it haunt me because I spoke this truth? So I think it's a very individualized process until it tips. I mean, calling it the Me Too movement is... There's a reason for it because every woman I know has said me too. Yeah. It's, it's, it's something that it needs to be discussed. It needs to be brought to the forefront and you know, it's, it's, it's time. It's, it's enough of like sweeping it under the rug. It's enough of just like, and one thing that you pointed out and I, you know, I didn't looking at, it's like, I didn't even realize it. It's like, that article where you were saying it's like written by men for men it doesn't it just kind of just glosses over here's the top the what happened but there's no deeper dive into explanations but if it was something else you know they would start explaining like if there's something against a woman they would like start digging in and feel like if you start looking at media and the way it's reported for men versus for women or about men or about women it is reported differently that's right. Yeah. So, all right. Thank you, Stephanie. Uh, very, you know, it's eye-opening and enlightening, and it's you know something that you know you definitely chime in about, talk more about. If there's something you want, if there's something, write in the comments. Stephanie's going to be there, uh, and let's you know bring this to light. So, thank you so much. All right, I am uh, going to wrap up, and that's it for today. I want to thank you all for tuning in. Uh, if you like what you hear hit that subscribe button up top or over there or over there i'm trying to switch the scenes with my feet right now and just keeps on making this beeping sound so i'm like looking over here but again if there's something you want to talk about if there's something you know with stephanie with dave anybody you know just leave your comments in below so uh 
I'd like to thank Stephanie, Sam, Dave, Aisha, and uh, we're going to see you all next week.